0: Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers, Indiana news blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm at Fishers City Hall, and I'm with Monica Heltz, the Public Health Director for the City of Fishers. It's always great to welcome Monica back to the podcast. Uh, Thanks for taking time out of a very busy schedule to be with me today. Thanks, Larry. Uh, Yes, there's so much to discuss. Let me start off with the biggest change that you have had as an organization. That's uh, the move to a new facility. Uh, You had a vaccination center on 116th Street, uh, just near Brook School Road. That has now closed down. You had your testing facility over by what's called the City Services Building. Mm -hmm. And anybody who came to City Hall when uh, tests were in demand knew you had to kind of figure out a way around because people... Uh, the traffic actually w- went right into municipal drive uh, now that has been consolidated into a new facility on technology drive you can see the building from lantern road mm-hmm. as you uh, drive down there toward uh, where launch fishers isn't that whole uh, con- uh, that whole complex that uh, that is back in that area but you're right at the entrance to it you can see the building clearly from lantern so talk uh, about if you can this uh the why you decided to make the move and how that's impacting your operations.
1: Yeah, well, we knew um, that we were not going to be in a pandemic forever. So the Marsh site, the large site at 116th and Brooks School, was always meant to be a temporary site. And frankly, we operated it for a good eight months longer than we thought we were going to need to, um, which is, um, which is, I guess, a, a good thing, Um But um, we had been making these transition plans for a while, just wanting to make sure that we had a consistent location that people could come to um, and um, try to find, um, you know, a bit more of a home base and a a one-stop shop. So um, we had the opportunity to come into the uh, clinic space on Technology Drive, um, and so that's That's when we made the transition. Now, uh, one thing that we didn't plan for um, was the fact that the CDC would open up uh, fourth shots for uh, older individuals at the same time. So it caused a little bit of a bump, but I don't think we've been overstretched even in the smaller space. Um, And frankly, there was never going to be a better time um, because we're, you know, we're just going to constantly have these ebbs and flows of how things how things go now as we kind of transition into a more endemic state for COVID.
0: Yes, I'm in that group that will need that next booster shot, so mm-hmm. I'll be seeing you at some point. Uh, to to get that done, but just to clarify, uh, I did know something was up because Chris Greisel, the city attorney, was at a board of works meeting some months ago and said that in 2022 the city would go to a month-to-month lease in that yeah. uh, Brooksville Road, 116th Street, that old Marsh building. So I knew something was up there. Yeah. And so now that's that's no longer the, the city is no longer leasing that. Although the city put a, a a decent amount of money into rehabbing that building was not in very good shape. So right. you're leaving it in very good shape yes. for somebody else. That's yes. for sure. Uh, Now, just to clarify one thing, when you... If you need testing at the new site, do you still drive through, or how does that work?
1: So it's a drive up and park, um, mm-hmm. and then give us a call, kind of like a takeout model. Um, like you would you would drive up and call our phone number, and then we'll do the registration over the phone, and then we'll come out to you to administer the test. Oh, okay. So it's not a drive through, but it's a drive up and park. So we don't want people requiring testing to come into the clinic because we don't want to be mixing. Um, we just want to make sure that everyone needing testing you know, stays in their car. and um, those needing vaccines will be assured that um, they're not going to be in contact with somebody that could be potentially infectious right now.
0: Very early uh, in the pandemic, I had to get a test. And I I won't say where it was, but uh, my doctor had recommended I go there. And uh, it was, just—it was at that time, again, it was early, a huge demand. It was pouring down rain, mm-hmm. and we were all standing. Yet you, They did tell you when to get in line, but you still had to stand outside. And they kept taking my temperature, and it was like below normal. Was, I'm freezing <laughs> <laughs> in the rain. Yeah. And so they just said, i just go ahead and go on in. But uh, uh, no, so is this going to make it easier for your uh staff and your operation to manage things in one facility rather than two to to provide these services?
1: Yeah. um, So consolidating the services for us, you know, we've We have a lot of um, temporary seasonal staff, and this allows us to kind of overlap services. So all of our staff can administer a test. All of our, you know, almost all of our, all of our licensed staff can do the vaccines, but we, all of our staff can do the check-ins. We're also hoping to consolidate our other services in there, and so we're in the process of training everybody right now, so that anytime we're open, the goal is, you know, probably in the next month or two. Um, that if you need any vaccine, you could walk in. Um, if you, you know, as we add services, you know, we can we can accommodate any of those. Right now, our childhood and adult vaccine clinic um, is Tuesdays from one to four, um, but we'll be, you know, as we get the rest of our um, staff trained that are doing the COVID vaccines and the COVID testing, um, we're working on training all of them so that all of our clinic services will be open to you when you come in.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the second booster shot. Um, If somebody needs that second booster shot. Can you just walk in? Yep. or do you, So you don't need a, can you get an appointment yep. if you need you one? You can make
1: an appointment if you feel more comfortable with that, or you can walk in um, on any of our open hours. Um, so we are um, open six days a week, um, and we're trying to keep those hours really consistent. It's four hours a day. So we're open from nine to one, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, and from three to seven on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we wanted to make sure that we kept a weekend time and an evening time for you know people that have very busy schedules.
0: And people have different schedules. So you're trying to work around that. So Mm -hmm. some say, why don't you have the same hours every day, but you couldn't necessarily get everybody or as many people that way. So I see why you do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, anytime you're serving the public, especially um, for something important like vaccines or testing or um, uh, any kind of public health services, really, it's very important that we keep later hours and have weekend times to, to make sure that we're, Offering things to people that may work out of town or may um, may have a more challenging work schedule that they're having to work around um, and make sure that we're really accommodating as much as we can, um, especially for some of our more vulnerable um, populations that may not have the ability to take time off easily or may not have that flexibility in their schedule.
0: You know, when it comes to something like public health, I think the only thing that remains the same is that everything is always subject to change. And we're seeing media references to something called the COVID Omicron XE variant. (laughs) That's That's why I keep seeing the reference to this latest variant that's apparently become a problem in Europe and other parts of the world. Tell us what you know about that.
1: So, um, the I mean, we're going to keep seeing variants of of different types. That's what viruses do. They're basically trying to stay alive, and they and they change. Um, this is evolution of a virus. This is how we, kind of, move from pandemic to endemic. The flu is very similar. Um, It mutates every year, and that's why we need to get a flu shot every year um, is because, you know, we try to get the most common strains that are circulating each year. COVID's moving into that phase. So we're going to constantly see these variants pop up. Um, I think the real um, question is, um, are they going to become less and less serious, which is kind of the natural evolution of the virus? Um, I, I think the answer is probably yes, but there will still be some fluctuations. So we may, may still have some spikes. In, um, in more danger, for example, the Delta variant, um, as you guys know, was um, quite a lot more serious. It, it was uh, more harmful to individuals that contracted it um, than the Omicron. The Omicron's more infectious, but less deadly. Um, so as, just as, as this is a natural process of evolution for viruses. So um, we continue to monitor them and see how um, the countries that are being hit with them ahead of us fare. Um, typically, um, Indiana, where we sit, we're usually the last to get um, to get the things that come into the United States. So we, we can usually watch things coming through Europe. And then, um, and then hitting the coasts of the U.S. So here we have some time to do some assessments and figure out where things are going.
0: So like New York City is always the first mm-hmm. because there's so much uh, in and out, people yeah. coming in and out from Europe yeah. and other parts of the world, and they have a large immigrant community where people are coming in and out to visit. That's people. Right. Uh, same thing on the West Coast, places like L.A. and San Francisco. It's part, so part of
1: being so a global community, basically. <laughs> and
0: we're kind of sandwiched, we're sandwiched in the middle, closer to the East Coast, but that may be a reason why we tend to see the these later on and and you've sort of anticipated my next question because i was going to ask you about the preparation because i'm reading a lot that public health agencies throughout the united states and just the medical community in general is better prepared now to handle a variant than before is that's what i'm hearing what are you what's your view on that
1: well, I mean, we've we've done this a few times in the last two years. We've seen those spikes, and we've seen those up and downs, and I think people are getting used to knowing what to do. Um, so part of it's a, just a cultural learning and a population learning, you know, of course, from public health. We've had a, quite a few runs of staffing up and staffing down, and... Um, And just from a staffing perspective, I think the labs are learning on capacity on what they can process. Um, We have home test availability now. So people have some self-efficacy that they can um, enact, which is really helpful from an individual standpoint, like that, that you have the tools and you can get yourself tested. Um, So all of these things make it a little bit easier to take those measures, um, and uh, and so the home test that decreases the burden on the labs that we're doing the PCRs. You know, so each each time we add another tool, we're decreasing the burden on those on those initial tools. So you know, so I I'm hoping that we never see those long long lines for testing again um, because people can get their own tests at home and. Uh, and take their own precautions.
0: I just I read something yesterday about a new test that's being uh, developed—a uh, breath test where you breathe into mm-hmm. a device, and you can do it in your home. Is is that something that's very far along, or do you know much about that? I,
1: I don't know how okay. you know. There's I think there's a I heard about it too. There's mm-hmm. a lot of cool um, tests. It's sparking a lot of innovation. Anytime you have a challenging time like this um, for uh, for the global community, you're going to get a lot of innovation in new. New testing and new technology—they've poured a lot of research money into finding better tests and better tools for COVID. So, I'm excited to see what comes out of it and how much of it will be able to be applicable to other diseases in the future. So, um, so, so we'll wait and see what actually passes the passes the bar and passes the test on what becomes useful. Sometimes they come up with these cool ideas, but they're too expensive to make it useful. So we'll see. Well,
0: and I think the companies that develop them market them very carefully, and they bring a reporter in and, and write they write a big story, and it turns out it never pans out. Right. So, so you do, it's an early situation. That's why I ask you about yeah, it. So you're it's saying it's cool,
1: but it's a it's it's a wait and see. It's <laughs> not something
0: that you're ready to go buy for your your facility. Right. One thing you and the mayor have talked about. A lot, and, and I can certainly understand why uh, Fishers has a very high level of vaccination, and, and you should feel very proud of that. Uh, do you have i mean it was, it's over seventy percent, I think, for people over eighteen the last time you and I talked what are the do you know the percentages now?
1: Yeah, I do. We're over 75% of our kids have had their first shot at least, um, and that's the 5- to 17-year-olds. We're really at about 80% of our total population, which includes the kids under 5, and we are at um, 92% of our adults over 18, so it's really amazing, especially when you look at nationally. I think the kids 5- to 17 are still about 20% vaccinated, Um, and so we're at 74%. Um, 50% have been fully vaccinated at this point. So I think, um, that that really shows a lot with our community and how seriously they're taking this and, um, and how we all really just want to do the, the best thing possible for our community.
0: The, the People happiest about those numbers are the area hospitals, yeah. because when people are vaccinated they're even if you do happen to pick it up, that your chances of being hospitalized are very low if you're vaccinated.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This really is how we protect our hospitals and ourselves, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it is really incredible the vast difference it makes in outcomes on whether you're vaccinated or not. So um, we are seeing that those gaps widen, you know, every every month we see more statistics that show how important it is to be vaccinated.
0: And those numbers you just cited, I just want to emphasize again are just amazing. I don't know if there may be some, but I don't know of any local community that can boast those kind of numbers. So you should feel proud of that. You and the mayor have marketed this well and the community has responded. You know, we, uh, generally are our people who are who feel that it's important to get vaccinated. You've educated them and they've responded. So uh, you should feel proud of that.
1: I, I'm quite proud of it. And I think we did a lot of work to get out um, into a lot of places to make sure that that happened, you know, between uh, visiting folks who are homebound and administering the vaccine in their homes and, um, going out to our long-term care facilities to make sure that our most vulnerable were vaccinated um, and um, having pop-up clinics um, both at the high, at the high school and around the community, we've done over 70 of those. Um, you know, we were at the farmer's market every single weekend last year. So we really have made it a priority to be present um, whether it just be to ask questions for people who are questioning or um, to just be available in a convenient way. And I, and I really do think that those are the kind of uh, public health measures that make a. difference Difference. Um, you know, you, you have to be where people are you know, to and make th- it easy. Yeah. And, I, and I
0: think that is so important because there were people who were wavering, weren't sure. You know, what a, uh, this, this and the thing you kept hearing, and you heard it more than I. Well, you know, this sure happened fast. How did you come up with this? And, and it's a technology advance that's been 10 years in the making yeah. that allowed science to be able to come up with these vaccines as quickly as they did. But I think the key, and, and you, Touched on this is that when people have questions, you engage them and you try to respond to any concerns they have. And it's amazing how people respond when you when you are respectful of their questions and try to address them. I, I think that makes a world of difference.
1: Well, it's so important to question everything. So you know, I never um, would tell someone not to question things um, because you're your own best advocate, and you should uh, think that way in all of your medical interactions. You know, anytime you're you're considering a medical test, or you have a medical issue. You know the best thing you can do is advocate for yourself and ask those questions so that you understand what your options are, and you understand what's going to be right for you, and have a chance to talk those over with um, your provider or whoever your healthcare professional is. Um, so, they're good habits to get into. And if we're not present to answer those questions, then um, then then you know, then, then people should have questions because that's, that's our job is to, is to answer those questions and to make sure that we all understand that we're doing the best thing for ourselves.
0: What, if anything, is going on for youngsters younger than five? Is there anything on the horizon for them?
1: So we are still waiting for that. I know that um, the Pfizer submitted some data to the FDA some time ago. The FDA put it on hold for a little bit. We are expecting some news to come out of that hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, we also uh, know that Moderna submitted their data, and so they may end up beating Pfizer to the punch for the young ones, um, which would be interesting, but we're ready either way. When we we thought it was imminent, we did all the training with our staff um, and, uh, so that we would be ready. Um, you know, We understand that a lot of people for the younger age groups will probably want to go through their providers. The state has been working with those providers to make sure that as many of them are enrolled in the program as possible um, so that hopefully when we do get that vaccine, um, they'll be able to um, administer it in a variety of locations, whatever works best for you and your family and gives you the most comfort.
0: As someone who... Years ago, made just living in the media. Now, do it as a volunteer sort of thing in my community. I, I, I think I've always been a believer that you know everybody wants a class. I think high, all high school students should take a class on how to discern media. And I say it in this context because, for this reason, with you, there was a gridiron dinner in Washington D.C. recently, and apparently there were more. There was more than one person with COVID, and all the big shots of Washington were at this this little confab, and uh, the Speaker of the House ended up testing positive. A whole long list of a, mm-hmm. A-list uh, people in D.C. area, uh, heavy hitters, ended up testing positive. We've seen a lot of media reports in Britain, particularly, mm-hmm. about how many people are testing positive. And I think that kind of scares people, but we, what we have to do is kind of look a little further into it. And mm-hmm. something you already alluded to. People may be testing positive, but fewer people are getting sick. Um, mm-hmm. uh, maybe we need to put all these, re- when we see a media report like that, we maybe need to process it in a way to put it in some kind of, per- a good journalist does that, but not everybody is good at doing that. I'd like to hear your thoughts.
1: Well, I think um, COVID can be very anxiety-producing, especially for um, our residents and and those of us that may have uh, specific medical concerns or be at high risk for a variety of reasons or have a loved one who's at high risk. So um, we've been dealing with COVID for two years now, and, um, and it's important to, I think, as you said, put that anxiety in perspective. Um, if you've done all of the protected measures that you know that you can do, um, getting all the vaccines that you're eligible for, that's going to be your single best protection. If you have somebody who's high risk at home and you are um, you know, watching our data, watching the state data, watching the national data, and you can tell that the cases are rising right now nationally, they haven't started rising yet here or in Indiana yet, we're kind of the last on the list, as I mentioned, I'm expecting them to rise in the next week or two, part because of that mixing from spring break. So with that knowledge, um you can say, okay, it may be time for me and my loved one to put a mask on again when we go out in public. You've got those personal steps for, and protection that you can take. You're going to be at a pretty good protection at that point, and the chances that you're going to suffer a dire consequence from getting infected with COVID we know, are going to be very minimal. right? We know the tools that we need to take at this point. We know how to do it. We don't need to um, have a high level of anxiety about it. Our population is very well protected, um, so just living in fissures and knowing that so many people around you are vaccinated also is going to help because that's um, it's not going to make you immune from contracting it, but it's going to greatly decrease your chances that they are going to be able to be infectious enough to pass it on to you, even should you have a chance encounter with someone.
0: Since you helped create this department, you know that the Fishers Health Department was created to a large extent because of COVID, because the mayor wanted to get a testing program done in his city and looked around and couldn't find anybody that could do it, so he decided to do it himself and, and brought you in and and uh, Fisher's was ahead of the curve on local communities and providing testing, which very early in the the pandemic was a key uh, for businesses and for individuals. Just yeah. you know, do you have it or not? And yeah. and with the asymptomatic, you, sometimes you have it and don't know it with, without symptoms. So you're even though your um, department was created because of COVID, uh, you have taken on all of the other responsibilities that go with with uh, running a health department. A lot, what the county health department did for us before mm-hmm. the city health department was created. And just as a reminder, I always get this question, still get it. No, this did not change your tax rate. The tax money that supported the county health department out of your taxes and fissures are now uh, being funneled into the city health department. It isn't changing the taxes you pay. You just have a city health department instead of a county. I just want to make that yep. point because I That's hear correct. that <laughs> I hear that so often and and have uh, had to answer that question myself it, it doesn 't make any difference in your taxation so got I, I want to talk about some of the other areas what, what, that are part of your There's a whole long list i can 't go through all of them in the time we have but let me start off with health education because that's one of the questions I got early on when the department was first formed. I got a question, I think, from a teacher locally. said, well, you know, the the county health department always had somebody come in and do this and do that. Do you think yeah. the city health department would? I, I think I asked you, and you said, oh, we're going to do at least that and probably more. Yeah. So tell me how um, in this period of time, I guess almost two years now, mm-hmm. right, that you've been in, in place as a city health department, how have you been organizing and, and, and rolling out Education, uh, health education in the local community.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, as you know, COVID has impacted everything. So, getting health educators in schools was something that um, that was going to be hard to do during COVID because nobody could come into the schools, and the county health department faced the same thing. So, they haven't been able to be in the schools either. Um, we have now with this year, we have started being able to be out and about and in the schools. and Our health educator is present and has done a lot of presentations for the schools um, and for the community. So, we have a number of really exciting health education programs um, right now um, we have a pretty heavy focus on mental health that's been one of the city's focuses for a while and our early results from our community health assessment focus groups have shown that that continues to need to be a focus of the health department um, so uh our amazing health educator aruna um has some qpr trainings which is uh question, prevent, and respond, uh, mental health uh, kind of first aid. It's a kind of a very brief mental health first aid um, training that she offers that you can sign up for. Um, we have youth mental health first aid trainings as well, which is a bit of a lengthier um, training, uh, specifically geared toward those who work with our youth. Um, we've been doing serve safe trainings with the restaurants. It's, it's a requirement that at least one person on the restaurant staff have the serve safe training. Um, so we've uh, conducted a number of those trainings. Um, we have Really, we have some nutrition education classes coming up, and that's all in addition to the the classes that she does for the schools um, uh, related to um, a, variety, a variety of topics. So she's definitely getting out there, making a lot of connections with the community, partnering with different groups um, to provide those programmings based on the needs um, so of somebody, the
0: community. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go so somebody wants a speaker, uh, they just contact uh, your office, then, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Another area and you've already touched on this food safety. I know you do mm-hmm. restaurant inspections, you do other food, well, other food safety issues that you address. Talk about your responsibilities there.
1: So you know it's our responsibility to make sure that all of our restaurants are properly permitted and inspected and following um, following the state code and best practice. Um, we actually are, I think, the sixth health department in the state to enroll in the FDA's uh, model food standard program. Um, So we're excited about that. That was uh, programmed this year. So we're starting our assessment to make sure that our practices align with the FDA's best practice, um, which is above and beyond what the state code requires. Um, We really have taken it from a partnership perspective with our area um, restaurants. We know that they want to provide a safe dining experience. For our residents and we know that our residents want to have a safe dining experience so we're really all in this together and so our primary goal is to, is to educate and make sure um, that everyone has the opportunity to know what those best practices are and that's why we put a heavy focus on getting everybody through those serve safe classes um, and um, making sure that we're focusing on the things that really prevent um, that prevent foodborne infection. Um, a lot of the state food code is is pretty um, nitty gritty, and and not all of those things are really um, the things that best prevent foodborne infection. So we're really trying to align both of those things in order to make sure that um, that we're really protecting our residents at the highest degree possible. We're looking at a lot of um, I think exciting things with food prevention that could potentially make us a leader in the state um, as, as we move forward. But we're really excited about where that's going.
0: So uh, we are recording this in mid-April as the weather warms. Late May seems to be the time when most pools, public mm-hmm. pools or neighborhood pools start to open here in this part of the, of the country. Uh, talk about what you do in the area of Swimming pool inspection.
1: So that's another um, state requirement is that we inspect all um, community pools, um, not your private backyard pool, but any kind of community pool, neighborhood association pool, uh, you know, the pools that are associated with any kind of um, larger entity, hotel pools, that kind of thing. Um, so we have a pool inspector that goes out and, and does all of those inspections um, you know he tries to get the year-round ones done before the summer crunch um, and then the summer he's he's kept quite busy hopping from uh, seasonal pool to seasonal pool but now's the time when those permits should be coming in and um, uh, and then and then we get them all inspected as soon as they start opening.
0: <laughs> Even though, again, we're in April now, uh, May is coming up fairly soon, and May is Mental Health Month. And uh, I wanted to just ask you about your staff. What, what, what are you planning uh, this year for Mental Health Month in May?
1: Yeah, so um, our health educator, Aruna, and our mental health coordinator, um, Renee Thomas, who is here on a CDC fellowship um, to help us with our mental health programs, She um, they they have a lot of exciting events planned and we as a health department in a city have a lot of exciting events planned. Um, We are partnering with HSE schools um, and the Fisher's Farmers Market to have the Hope for Happiness event, which is um, an annual event that's going to be at the Farmers Market on May the 14th, I believe. Um so you can look for that there. We'll have a lot of student booths um and some community organizations that service mental health. We do have a health and wellness fair, again another partnership with uh um, Fisher's Farmers Market the following weekend. Um where we'll have a lot of uh, healthcare provider agencies. So if you have any health questions, um then that will be a good place to go. That'll be a good day to visit the farmers market um because it'll be a health and wellness fair. Um, we have uh, we're going to be having a breakfast with the mayor. I think we have some inspiring signs coming up along the Nickel Plate Trail because that will be opening in May. We have uh, – trying to remember – there's so much going on. Well, that's
0: that's an idea. And, and I yeah. think it's important. You do partner with the schools who have a very extensive mental health program that's been developed throughout the years. And uh, that uh, Hope for Happiness event, I think I should mention, that was a student – Led event. It was a group of students. I think at HSC High School and later, Fisher's came in, but it was a group of students who put that together originally. Yeah, and others kind of came in later. But that was totally driven by and the students. Still, it
1: still is. It's led mm-hmm. by their Bring Change to Mind clubs. Um, so we're we had a meeting this past week with their club leaders um, yeah. <laughs> to uh, to make sure that that event gets organized. We're just providing the support of the space.
0: You know, people talk about the sandwich generation Mm -hmm. um, and how people are caught between their young family and their older parents or other relatives they may be caring for. And you do offer a caregiver, I can't even say it right, a caregiver support group. So tell me about that.
1: That's right. So one of the things that we found in our um, focus groups that we did um, in the fall last year, which was a part of our early part of our community health assessment um, was that there were a lot of people that were caring for others that um, really needed some support, whether it be connection to others who are going through the same thing, just making those connections or trying to find ways to cope and, and ways to manage um, ways to manage those challenges. So we do offer a caregiver support group. It's led by our mental health coordinator. Um, it's, I believe the first Tuesday in every month from five to six Um you can check our website to be sure um, And um, so again that was something that we heard loud and clear in the focus groups that people need more opportunities to connect with others um, that are kind of in the same place. So that's one of one of the many things that we that we're working on. Um, I, I, sh- I could mention, um, additionally, we're, we're starting some joint programming with the parks department, um, and with community health network. Um, so I have a new series that we've had one, uh, event so far. Um, the next one will be coming up April 29th at 1 PM. It's called Walk About health. So this will bring a health expert, um, into one of our city parks. Um, they'll have a brief chat, uh, brief talk, five to 10 minutes about a health topic, a specific health topic. The one on April 29th will be on nutrition and autism. Um, so I would encourage anybody that has that as an interest um, to come out. Uh, we'll be at Brook School Park at 1 p.m. on April the 29th um, with some of community health, community health experts on that topic. Um, so you'll start seeing uh, those pop up we're hoping to do at least one of those a month we don't have the mental health month one scheduled yet this month is autism awareness month um, but we'll keep you updated on um on the next walk about health
0: i recently had uh, an opportunity to uh, do a podcast with shane booker shane booker is executive director of the emergency management operation for all of hamilton county i know here in fisher's uh, we have our own emergency uh, operation here. An emergency could happen anytime could be a winter storm, could be a spring you know thunderstorm uh, or some event like that, but uh, floods and there's a whole long list of emergencies that can happen any time of the year. I know your department is part of any reaction to a local emergency. Uh-huh. Explain how you fit into that.
1: So, we do have a public health emergency preparedness coordinator that is um, that's a position that's grant funded through the State um, Department of Health. Um, and she works very closely with the fire department and the other, uh, and Shane Booker at the Hamilton County Emergency Management. So, it's all kind of Uh, interconnected um, everybody um, is working on different components of any kind of emergency preparedness obviously pandemic um, falls under public health more uh, than a tornado so you know we all uh, look to what our specific role is depending on the type of emergency but yeah um, we do have an emergency preparedness coordinator we're getting that rolled into the city's emergency operations plan we're actually in the middle uh, or at the beginning phase of conducting our after-action review for COVID which is kind of an exciting thought <laughs> that we could finally be done with this. So. You're saying
0: that with a smile, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I just, last thing I will say, we're about out of time here. Anything that I didn't ask you'd like to add before we wrap this up?
1: Um, I would just, you know, encourage anyone that has questions about what we're doing as a public health department to reach out to us. I think that you'll find that we are doing a lot, um, but we're still open to um, ideas and feedback. Um, so keep your. Keep your ears open for what might be coming down the pipe. And if you have an interest or you have a suggestion, um, we would take those at any time. Um, You know, our goal is to keep our residents um, as healthy as possible. So we're really looking ways to leverage relationships and partner with organizations to make as much impact as possible um, in the lives of our residents.
0: Monica Heltz is the Public Health Director for the City of Fishers. Always good to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate, and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind.